It's funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little anyway, you know? Why don't you just get big with me? Feel me? They can see it in my eyes. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of John's Untitled Podcast, a partner of MoshPitNation.com. This week's guest is Kevin Antrezian. You may know him from Dillinger Escape Plan. He was uh, the rhythm guitar player on this last album cycle. Uh, he replaced Jeff Tuttle uh, in Dillinger. And he also has had a project going for the last decade that you may or may not know of called Knife the Glitter. Interestingly enough, I wasn't really familiar with Knife the Glitter either uh, until the band's uh, PR person or, or publicist or whatever reached out to me and basically explain to me why I should give a shit about this record and this band. Uh, I would say, arguably, this is one of the more intriguing band bio things I've ever read, where immediately I was like, well, of course I want to fucking talk to someone from this this band about this, this new album. Uh, in short, the band has been around for about a decade. They started working on what would become this music, this, this EP, this Knife the Glitter album, almost 10 years ago. Uh, and through just a lot of different circumstances, uh, as far as member changes, style within the band changes, uh, members, you know, getting jobs, being in different bands, moving out of state, uh, and eventually Kevin uh, joining Dillinger and the, the rigorous touring cycle that they went through, uh, you know, just kind of had a lot of things that slowed down the, the output of this album. And I don't think I've ever, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard of anyone having such a an ordeal of getting a record out. Maybe sans uh, sans Axl Rose with a Chinese Democracy, but shit. Uh, I mean, there was definitely a lot of reasons that led to that happening as well. But with all that being said, it was just crazy to to hear about a band, you know, and especially with someone of Kevin's caliber now being in Dillinger. You know, a lot of the Dillinger dudes have another band that they were doing in addition to Dillinger. So it was kind of interesting that when I heard this band and heard that Kevin was a part of it, I just assumed this was the natural progression of like, okay, Dillinger's done. Now I'm going to go back to this other thing I was doing and to find out how long it took to make it. And that this is going to be their first and final release. Uh, it's kind of interesting in this day and age that, you know, some people, you know, will never say that something's done. So the fact that, you know, like they finally get this, this album done and then they're like, all right, and now we're done too. Uh, it was really intriguing, and so I really wanted to talk to Kevin just kind of about the process of making this record uh, and a little bit more about him. Um, I know, like, you know, a lot of the stuff that he had done within the Dillinger interview cycle and such was a lot of gear rundown and, and just kind of working with Dillinger, but I didn't really know a whole lot kind of about him. Um, so we kind of get into a little bit about that as well as <laughs> what's it like finally getting this album done, you know, 10 years later. And uh, and what's it, what we can expect from Kevin coming up after this, because um, it very much seems like, you know, with Dillinger calling it a day now, Knife the Glitter kind of ending their thing, you know, it, it kind of looks like getting stuff done and off your plate. And uh, it was really cool kind of talking to someone about that process. Uh, you know, a lot of times people nowadays have a lot of side projects and seemingly just nothing ever gets done across the board. So it must be kind of nice to. I started this thing, now it's done. I, I started this thing a long time ago, but now it's done, and now I'm looking forward to doing X, Y, and Z. So it was a really great time talking with uh, with Kevin about it. And for those who may not have heard the Knife to Glitter record, uh, it just came out at the very end of the last year. And, you know, it's a, it's a good instrumental record, uh, kind of 
flows in and out of a lot of different genres and it's a, and it's an intriguing listen with a lot of interesting textures and, and so forth. Uh, and interestingly enough as well, I was listening to the Andrew from the ghost inside solo record that he just put out uh, a couple of weeks ago. And between listening to those two and then listening to a lot of uh, Craig Owens, bad channels channel on SoundCloud, uh, just a lot of instrumental music I've been listening to lately of all kinds of varieties and, and different sounds. And it's just interesting because when you don't typically listen to a lot of that, it's interesting to see. And I say interesting a lot, I've realized, too. <laughs> so uh, but I've noticed that it, it just kind of puts you in a different headspace, like when you're listening to music that doesn't necessarily repeat itself or it doesn't have the, the traditional verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, outro or whatever, you know, the, the standard two and a half, three minute song. And just the journey that something can take you on and, and kind of maybe into more of a sonic journey uh, with the band, with the music they're creating, with maybe the narrative that's going on throughout the record, maybe some callbacks to different uh, passages of music that are done in one one song and then maybe re, re done in another song to kind of tie a narrative together or a concept. And uh, it's, it's just kind of weird. It, it's something I always kind of think of when I'm in that sort of headspace musically. Uh, but I, I don't listen to a whole lot of music like that just because, uh, I don't know, it gets a, a little bit redundant in the abstractedness of the song structures. Uh, so I can, I can take it for a little while. And then after then I'm usually like, okay, like I need something that's got like lyrics and, and more vocal melodies and so forth. But, uh, it's a really great record. And I, I definitely think, uh, if you are into that kind of stuff, uh, you should definitely check it out. Knife the glitter. Uh, they just put out their record through party smasher Inc. Uh, keeping it in the Dillinger family with, uh, that being Ben's imprint slash label. Uh, there is a wet dream of a vinyl collector's vinyl coming out for this, uh, thing that we talk about as well. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Kevin from knife the glitter. pleasure of talking to Kevin Entrezian. Uh For those of you who don't know how to say his last name like I had trouble with earlier, uh, currently of, well, sort, sort of currently of Knife the Glitter, formerly of Dillinger Escape Plan. Uh, how are you doing this evening? Good, man. I think it's probably technically formally and formally. <laughs> uh, you know, I, it was funny. I, one of the questions I'll get to later, it was just like, how do you like when you're doing anybody in the doing these pressers? It's like how do you guys like <laughs> you know address it? It's like here's my current band, which is also going to be my former band, and part of the reason it's now my former band is because of my other former bands. Like you know, it's just kind of interesting to see uh, you know you're promoting something that's that's already calling it a day. Yeah, it's it's kind of exhausting. It's just like you know, it's like uh, that's part of the reason why I don't do many of these kind of things is because it's like oh. What's like, like not like what's the point, but it's like I mean we're not gonna play it ever, so <laughs> it's just kind of like it's 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 a weird way how it happened is uh, like the guy from our record label was kind of a big fan of music and uh, you know a Dillinger fan too, so he wanted to see it come out and we you know 
we didn't want to really tackle it financially ourselves just because, you know, it's not, you know, to, to press a vinyl like that, right. um, even in small amounts, is still very expensive. And just so we could have hang a few on the wall and sell a couple, some friends and stuff like that, isn't really worth it. But he was super passionate about it, and he's a great dude. And uh, he was like, no, it needs to come out. So, he, <laughs> yeah, you know, he made it so. So before we get to your time recording this monster of an album that took almost as long as Chinese Democracy to get done, um, <laughs> uh, let's. I'd like to kind of get a little bit more of a background on the people that I have on. So what were kind of, what was kind of your childhood like, and uh, what kind of got you into music and wanting to play guitar? The earliest memory of like being interested in, in like rock style music I could remember was. Like playing, like going to one of my friends' house, uh, this kid Steve, and he had, like, you know, in like middle school, he was like, you know, a guitar player kid, musician. And I went to his house and he had like a Marshall combo amp and like a Fender with like a, a humbucker in there and like a Telecaster. And he just played me like the intro to Rage Against the Machine, I think, and in front of me and just like, not like probably cranks, but like loud enough with the music and I was just so impressed with like how the electric guitar sounded in person um, and I had never really had a whole lot of exposure to it before that which sounds kind of strange um, you know aside from like listening to music but uh, in person it was just like a eye-opening experience for me and uh, that's really where it started kind of and then was it kind of the cliche thing like everybody else where you asked for a guitar got an acoustic had to prove that you actually we're going to take it seriously before you graduated to an electric or did you kind of start right away with like one of those, you know, electric starter kit things that they put out now? Um, I think I started with, um, and I think it's probably a good thing that people just don't throw you like, you know, like an Ibanez universe, like $2,000 <laughs> guitar to, to learn on. Um, but, uh, I started with this cut guitar is the company's name is Court C O R T, and they they still I think they still make them. Maybe I'm not positive. I think they uh, do. It was like a real piece of shit. Yeah, I think <laughs> they do. It had like um, three. I think it had three saddles missing. Someone like my friend's mom gave it to me as like a birthday present or some kind of present, and it was like super nice gesture. And uh, or maybe it's my uncle that gave it to me. I can't even remember who gave it to me. But anyway, I learned on that we got three more saddles put on it so I can get six full strings to play. <laughs> and, uh, I remember just like writing like the most basic, like horrible music, like literally just playing like four frets, like going up chromatically or something. Uh -huh. And I show, I thought it was a song to me. I was like, Oh, this And I would like show my dad and he'd be like, you know, that song's like already been written, right? <laughs> like somebody else has already played that. I was like, what are you talking about? This is my song. I just wrote this. And he's just like, no. <laughs> and I was like so, like my soul was crushed because I thought I was being so like creative. And then my dad was just like, that's, that's, that's not a song. <laughs> or already has been a song a million times. That's a more of an exercise. Uh, how long did it take for you to kind of start? I mean, obviously it sounds like you started writing music pretty quickly, but like how long did it take for you to do the, the band thing? Uh, so I picked up a guitar like when I was like 14. And then I think I was in my like first like actual like, which you could call a formation of a band by like 17, I think. Okay. And we, we played like, you know, we played like the local circuit and then we, uh, we ended up 
opening for a lot of like bigger touring bands in like the the crappy new metal scene <laughs> at the time. But that was that was like what we were into because we were seventeen and we didn't know any better. So, um, yeah, and uh, band that band eventually like broke up and then kind of formed into a different version, which was ended up becoming Knife the Glitter. And so, for those who may be listening who aren't familiar with Knife the Glitter, it is now a three-piece instrumental band, but when you guys started off in 08? Oh, or what, what, I'm trying to think of when I saw it. 03. I think, 03. Yeah, 03. I think is when I saw yeah. it. Um, at that point, you were more in line with like the metalcore movement, it sounded like, uh, with an actual vocalist? Yeah, so we, we definitely like started more in that, that direction. Yeah. Um, and because, um, like I said, it was it was most of the members from my previous thing, and then we just I think we just swapped out our drummer, and he was like, to- like he changed the entire thing because he was he was while he was still into some of the crappy new metal stuff that we were into, he was like <laughs> into way heavier shit like 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 death metal and like progressive stuff and all kinds of other stuff that we didn't even like know about really. Right. So he we had to obviously like, you know, like learn, we had to try to get to his level, you know, like, like musically. So he would show us all these new bands and we'd be like, Oh, this is cool. Some stuff was like too far off the spectrum for me at that point. Like I remember one time they were into Dillinger, like they were getting into Dillinger and stuff and it was still a bit much for me, but I, you know, I saw some of the, like a, like a Mulberg video and I thought it was really cool. Just like the energy. So then I bought Calculating Infinity and I tried to get into it and I hated it. So I gave it away to somebody <laughs> else. So I, it was just like too far off. You know, it was too heavy. It was too chaotic. My ear was not ready for that yet. So it took me like maybe another year to get back into that, I think. Well, I was going to, it's, it's kind of interesting that you say that because I, I, I feel like that's sort of a very similar story that I have with a lot of music where people will try to show me something and either mm-hmm. I just can't comprehend it or it's it's just that people are psyching it up so much that it just doesn't I, i'm like i listen to it i'm like i i don't see why you're so like all up in arms about this record uh it's okay yeah and then you know maybe a year or two down the road or a couple of years it's like oh fuck i finally get it and then you feel like an asshole for, <laughs> for not understanding like how great this thing was when it first was coming around um so yeah. how you know how you talk about you know the drummer kind of really upping everyone's game as far as like trying to match like his musicianship and so forth. Did, were you putting in a lot of hours at that point trying to become more of a, I wouldn't say a traditional metalcore band where it's just like chug, 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 open notes. And then, you know, kind of like a, a catchy chorus where you like trying to go more in a progressive metal kind of styling, maybe even like a, I think I'm trying to think of BT band was out around then at that point, I think colors would have been out or Alaska would have been out by then. So like there would have been, some yeah, I remember that record being popular around then. Okay. Um, I think when we first got together as like the first actual iteration of Life of Glitter, I think it was like Hope's Fall was like a band that was like out. Okay. I remember like some of the guys were into that. Poison the Well. Like that's what, um, I think that's like what we were striving for, but we never ever did that. Like for some <laughs> weird reason, um, like the more weird, like uh, Dillinger esque type vibe bands we always like kind of gravitate towards and there were more i feel like there were more of them back then in yeah, that kind of I mean, early metal was, course I was, I was gonna say because there was bands like uh the human abstract and stuff like that that i feel like never yeah. really kind of got their just due but were pretty big in the scene back then 
Yeah, yeah, and botched and stuff. There was oh, a yeah. few. It just seemed like there was more, even on a local level, there was like a few bands that kind of like were going for that kind of sound and that like song structure or lack of structure. Um, but I don't really think there's that many of those. I mean, I could be wrong. There's probably a million of them, but I don't know of that many of them. Like, like later on, it seemed like it was just it, that trend kind of went away while Dillinger carried on doing its thing. Um, but yeah, so we, we just kept uh, writing more in that vein of like, like, I guess it would have like some metalcore type stuff, but it was just really spazzy and like number 12 looks like you were, they were good friends of ours and they were obviously in similar kind of thing. They were writing all kinds of spazzy stuff. And so that's what we ended up doing, I guess. I didn't see any recorded stuff that I could find like on YouTube or anything like that. Was that lineup of the band just not really have any recorded material? No, I have it. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be. I won't be putting it out anywhere. But I, I do have it. Okay, um, so it does exist. We did, just not, we did, <laughs> not on the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I'd like to just say that way for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's not horrible. It's just. I mean, we actually what we're doing is, and this is just for like the ten people that care. Um, we have the old EP that we did. Mm-hmm. So this this band only really has two releases. It has the record that's out now, yep. and it has this old EP that we did called Breakfast Time back in 2004 or something. Oh, okay. And um, that has vocals on it. But, you know, we now that you know the final form of the band is instrumental, we're going to remix that. One of my guys at the studio is remixing it, and we're going to just give it out. I guess to anybody who's interested, just a remixed version without vocals, just instrumental. Huh. That'll be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was recorded in like some of the poorest conditions, and it was like my first thing that I ever personally like recorded, like engineered. So it, it quality-wise, it's gonna be pretty rough. But <laughs> um, my guy who's mixing it, Mikhail, is doing a good job of trying to salvage whatever he can from it. It's always interesting when bands kind of go back through and not necessarily, I mean, at this point, you're just kind of remastering and, and redoing without the vocals, but when people do re-records, it's always interesting to see, like, some of the original luster that's, you know, with the nostalgia attached versus, like, modern production where you're kind of like, it sounds better, but I, I kind of like the old version better. It's kind of weird. Yeah, you getting... like those weird things. I know. It's re- like a friend of mine, like, kind of a weird side tangent, uh, a friend of mine that I kind of got me into wanting to play music uh, as a guitar player on a local level. Um, he's kind of going through the process of remixing and remastering and redoing, re-recording some of the, the first, like their big record that they put out around here that almost got them signed. And I'm hearing mm. this stuff and it sounds really good because it's all newer production and, you know, just cleaner. But the problem is, is I'm like, but I kind of like the old shitty version better. <laughs> like it, it's, yeah, I mean, there's it's a lot of stuff to be said for that, man. Yeah, totally. Like the nostalgia and just like the rawness or whatever, just you know what you're what you're used to hearing all those little flaws and stuff. And now they're gone. <laughs> so speaking to the the two vocalists you've had in the band at one point, now it's just you know Eli and Ryan and yourself. At what point mm-hmm. do you guys decide to just make this an instrumental band? I mean, I just recently saw Night Versus kind of go through the same thing where Doug, you know, ended up leaving the band. And, you know, the band decided to continue on as an instrumental. And, you know, you don't see that happen a whole lot. Yeah, well, this is, I mean, I'm sure everybody has their own story. Ours was that um, the singer for the first iteration was like my best friend growing up. And we kind of just grew apart. And he was a carryover from the original 
band that we were in before this. And uh, we just ended up just like drifting apart and not being, you know, we didn't, we didn't, I mean, we're fine now. I mean, we don't really, I don't really have any communication with them, but you know, we're adults and that stuff is like, you know, kid stuff. Right. So it just, we just phased them out and we got somebody else involved to take his place. And we were auditioning guys and, even some of my friends that I, I hang with today, like uh, my friend Jay, who plays in the band uh, Torrential Downpour and Dead Empires, he tried out for us. Um, his he was just like actually way too heavy for us. Like his, his vocal style is just like destroying all the PA's, and it was like <laughs> it was insane sounding. But it was cool and, and like super admirable. But it just was like we wanted something a little more like shrill and kind of crappy sounding. Right. He was like so powerful. Right. Um, so we, we got this audition tape from this guy, Joe, and it actually kind of had like a very like Dimitri, um, you know, the original singer and Dillinger's kind of vibe. Okay. And so I guess because of our influences, we were like drawn to that. Right. It was really just like, like dry sounding screams, like not like a low scream or like any kind of like death metal thing. It was just like a, a, a shout in a way. Right. Um, so we really liked that. And so that's why we went with him and his lyric his lyrical content was always really cool and he was a good story writer. Um, and he was great, great dude. Love him. And then eventually it just didn't work out because he was trying to go in a different direction than what we originally had wanted. And so we, and he agreed to, we just were like, yeah, let's just do it. There's, there's so much music that the, the vocals don't necessarily need to be there. Okay. You know? So we just ended up just going as a three piece. And, uh, yeah, that's what we all ended on. Well, you kind of touched on one of my follow-up questions to that, but I'll kind of ask this in a two-part then just to kind of get to the other question. Was there ever any consideration for any of you three to tackle any vocals, even in a sparing kind of manner for, like, maybe a part or two? And then on top of that, since you kind of just talked about it, how freeing was it once you weren't writing with a vocalist potentially in mind to just to just write? Um, so I think at one point our drummer might have been trying to do backup like harmonies or something. Okay. Cause he's like a super talented guy. I'm not talented enough to play those kind of riffs and sing <laughs> for sure. Uh, and I don't think our bass player was either. Um, and to answer the second half of the question, we never really wrote with a vocalist in mind anyway. So <laughs> it didn't change too much just because, I mean, if you listen to the music, it doesn't sound like it was written with vocals in mind. It's just no. like, it's like whatever happens at the moment, like we kind of just put it there and songs don't, don't really repeat a whole lot of sections. It's kind of just like a one fluid kind of, some songs do, but most songs, it's just like a fluid idea um, from front to back. And there's, if you like are into it, there's actual thematic things that like come back, even if the riff I doesn't come kinda, back. I kind of thought I, I, when I was listening to it today at work, actually, I just kind of had it on a constant loop probably four or five times in a row. And there were things that, I mean, it's kind of hard when you're not seeing where a track ends or starts sometimes, you know, cause I had my yeah. phone in my pocket. So I'm just kind of, like I said, listening to it on a loop and there would be times where I'm like, is this thing coming back and I'm catching it? Or is this that it's on this loop of this song? And I'm just thinking <laughs> that I hear something that's similar because I'm listening to the same track that I was like, Oh, that part's cool or whatever. And then it comes back yeah. or not. So it is interesting that you actually said that. Cause I was thinking about that today. I was like, I feel like there's some parts that kind of are come, like callbacks to something else, but I, I, you know, couldn't look at my phone to be like, Oh, at this point on this song, like this is where it was. So good to know that I, I actually kind of did pick up on that. And it wasn't just me kind of going like, I think I'm thinking too much about this. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's in there. It's just subtle. <laughs> um, you guys started tracking what would become this album, Knife the Glitter, uh, about 10 years ago, or 10 years ago now, I guess, actually. Um, yeah. Can you recall what it was like going into the start of this record? <laughs> Barely. I think I remember a little bit of the drum tracking, like, in setup. It was so long ago. Um, I remember we had a singer at that point, and he was, like, really on us for not getting – that was part another part of the reason why he quit, or, like, we, we the, you know, separated – because he just like the the progress of the record was like obviously a snail's pace, and it was just like not what he wanted. And I, you know, obviously he had you know every right to be annoyed with that. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't remember tracking that much guitar. Like I, I remember the bass was done mostly not in my presence. I remember I just kind of let them come in the studio and just do it. Or you know, like Eli and Ryan together usually. Um, and yeah, it kind of, that's why it's like a mess. Cause nothing was like, we didn't schedule like here's four, three or four weeks in the studio. It was like, here's like a couple days do drums. And then here's the next month we're going to try some stuff and then maybe do a bass that they hear. And then it was, it was a mess. And the songs sound like the way we wrote them and the way we started recording them completely changed by the time we record them like there's there's like the like like small leads all over the place that were never there when we played them live there's all kinds of weird noises and like riffs that we completely just changed in the studio because i had an eight string lying around for a little while and i was like oh let me put some weird texture in here you know so definitely we could not play it i don't think it's possible it's uh interesting it's almost like you're kind of picking up on right where i'm gonna lead these questions <laughs> um i go obviously with you ending up in dillinger it kind of shifted whatever timetable you probably would have had uh of getting this done um as other things i think i saw uh i think it was ryan that ended up going to college like in another state um and so obviously everyone kind of had different life shit happen to them. And then you obviously joined like a very actively touring band. So I'm sure that, you know, just puts mm -hmm. a damper on everything, but, um, you know, it's kind of interesting to, to think about, you know, this long taking to write a record, uh, you know, just how an idea may have started to where it ended up because you're coming at it, you know, maybe a year or two after the fact or even four or five or six and, you know, maybe coming at it from a completely different perspective of than when you were going to sit down and write the riff initially, like maybe you're coming back at it and being like, Oh, well, I think I want to do this with it. So I was kind of interested to see like how many of the songs that ended up on this record actually were exactly as they were when you started the final, like pre pros on them, like before the record even started. Yeah. I don't think, I think a lot of them are, have a lot of different stuff in there. Like, and we kind of did that on purpose because the way I, you know, I, I, from being from the production, you know, background, I like to think of a, a record to be its own entity aside from like the, 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 the live kind of show or whatever. So things you can do in the studio, you can really take advantage of obviously multi-tracking and, and adding in all different layers and crazy stuff. So when you listen to it, it's kind of like this big production experience type thing. You hear all these weird sounds in the background and stuff. Um, and obviously that kind of thing is almost impossible to do with three guys on stage with guitars. So, you know, we really took liberties with that and like adding all these little tiny tracks and stuff. Um, and totally, like I said, also rewriting riffs 
completely. This is like, this river isn't that cool. Let's change it totally differently. And we just do that because, you know, you get bored of something and you want to change it. So that's the time to do it. And that's what we did. Or maybe they could have invented just because we forgot how to play it originally. (laughs) (laughs) By the time we recorded it, I was just like, oh, maybe I should just make it this, you know, set it in stone now. By chance, like I know a lot of bands, like when they're sort of writing stuff or constantly jamming out ideas and so forth, or have like you know, you know the classic now. Kirk Hammett had like a whole iPhone full of riffs before the Metallica record was being recorded and lost mm-hmm. it, so you know he didn't really have much to add to the new Metallica record. So I mean, like, were you was this like a project that you would kind of constantly be like, oh, I have an idea, maybe it would go for you know a background lead of, of you know something for Knife the Glitter? Was that something you guys were ever doing, just kind of constantly writing for things like with this project in mind, even though it wasn't an active thing, or was it just kind of like you know you pick it up when you guys are picking it up? Well, most of them, I mean, pretty much all the music, I think was written before the actual recording process took place. Okay. Uh, but the way we would write was, because we were three-piece, we wrote like in kind of a democracy, so it was always majority rule on any kind of idea. So if you know, obviously two people wanted something, then that's how it went. Right. Um, no matter what. We kind of had to stick to that. And we didn't ever come prepared with anything. It was kind of like a weird jam band okay. where we would just get in the room together, and then we would just like play stuff and then we'd be like oh wait that's pretty cool well let's work with that and then so we'd start with like guitar riff or we'd start with a drum beat and then we would just go off of that and then kind of connect pieces and make these songs and that's why i say that there's there's definitely thematic themes inside the songs that are loose um but this is kind of why the songs just like go on these weird journeys because that's how they're written. They're just like idea after idea after idea, trying to connect them so they kind of make sense with transition. So with with the recording resuming to, to finish this project, at what point do you collectively all go like, hey, when we're done with this, this is, you know, we're done with this project? I think we thought, I think we were on that page a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I mean, maybe maybe not so much everybody, but I know I was kind of, um, kind of not not that sounds over it is not the right well, I was way gonna to say does it ever feel it. like it's just like that that thing that's never gonna get finished because you just never have the time well yeah we it, it was just really difficult man like because those things require a lot of focus and I will never work on my own music again I really hate doing that <laughs> uh, I, I would much rather leave it to a professional like somebody else who can do it for me and I'll gladly you know I just don't like doing my own production work on my own music. Cause I want to be, I want to feel like the, the artist and the artist's job is to do the performance and not do the performance and do the production and do the engineering and all of that stuff. It really just kind of overcomplicates it and you get too close to it. So then you're like, Oh, I, I, I'll mix it later. Or I'll, I'll, I'll do these later. And it's just, you can't do it like that. You should just like be focused and in, in the moment and really, you know, that's that's how it is when I work in the studios, like a band will book a week and then you just focus on that project and you get it done and then you move on to the next thing kinda. Of. Um but we didn't have that kind of timeline or time frame and you know, I'd go on tour or we have somebody do something. it was just a mess of trying to get this thing together. So that's kinda of why I just got spread out for ten years. I mean it's so it sounds so bizarre, <laughs> like ten years it sounds so like 
impossible. Almost like you'd have to try to do that. It was, but uh, it's just how it worked out. It was really weird getting the the bio uh, from your PR person, and I like thought I misread the number. I was like, is that a typo? <laughs> And then I was like, yeah. oh, I, I, I guess it really did take 10 years. But, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it's 10 years if you count when we started writing them. Because right. we started writing these songs when I took over my studio in 2007. And that's when like we were still renting the rooms from the previous owner. And we were like writing these songs in that studio. So that's, I mean, that's where we took our, I guess, our, our time frame from. And right. then, you know, we toured with Dillinger. It was an opening band, I think, in 2009. I think that's when it was. So that's when we had, like, pretty much all the songs, I believe, like, written totally. And then I think that's when we actually probably started the recording process. So I guess, like, eight years of recording, mixing, and getting it printed. In actuality, ten years of the whole thing being the thing. Now... Again, it's kind of a two-parter, but uh, with the album finally being out and already kind of announcing that the this is you know basically it for the band and having you just got out of Dillinger and them calling it a day, is it kind of was it kind of weird to go from like one thing that's ending to finishing up this other thing and realizing like when you're done with it, it's done as well? Is there like a I guess I think we were saying earlier like I've not really ever heard of anyone kind of completing two different projects and then kind of it being like and this is it and then we're done and yeah it's actually really nice (laughs) i feel like it'd be really freeing because then it's like okay this is done now this is done like as someone who likes to get tasks done yeah it i feel like it would be really nice to be like ah those are complete and now i can move on to this other yeah yeah working towards that's totally how it is i like when i play like like open world video games i'm like a totally like a i have to check off every mission that it's like like, you know so so i like uh that, that was very much something on my list that needed to get checked off. And, you know, Dillinger got checked off and then checking off Night of Glitter was like a real big relief. And, uh, I, I mean, I'm starting, I'm not starting, I'm rejoining my group that was after Night of Glitter and pre Dillinger. Um, so we're starting to get back together. I mean, this, this is like a small time, like just like fun project that right. me and a bunch of friends do, but uh, it's called Mothership and it's kind of like a, throwback like rush type yes prog band um but it's fun i mean i, I don't think we're going to be doing anything like well i i don't even know if we'll even play out i was going to say public, you know there's, it's kind of just for fun there's another band called mothership out of dallas i do know that yeah but we, we <laughs> when we decided on our name we decided because we were going through such a long process of just picking a stupid name and then we decided on that one because we liked it and then afterwards we found out there was another band and then I was just, we were just like, who cares? We're never going to like be competing in the, any market with them. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> like we're just going to be playing for fun. So it could be called, the band could essentially be called anything, but for us, we're going to call it Mothership. And then uh, speaking of names though, so the track names on this record, I was wondering, are they, were, were they working titles that you just kept or, or <laughs> cause these are, I mean, you have song titles like Bumblebee Infant and Permanent Baby Sweat, uh, Snow Pants. Um, no pants, yeah. Plum, plum curtains, which elicited a laugh out of me this morning when I when I looked at the song title, and uh, <laughs> I mean it kind of creates its like own set of imagery, like as you're kind of like thinking of you know that word and and kind of 
uh, correlating it to the music that you're listening to. But I mean, it, it's almost like in some weird, like Mr. Bungle kind of territory as like just weird abstract, like song titles that mean absolutely nothing in correlation to the music yeah. at least. So I didn't know if like those were like, I... fun, fun, like working titles. I think most of them are related to what used to be the lyrical content of the song from our <laughs> old singer, I believe. Okay. Uh, I know permanent baby snow pants is something I came up with and it has almost no meaning okay. because we, me and my fiance were talking about how like babies, uh, how they, when they're like little, they have like fat legs, yeah. like real fat, <laughs> like the Michelin man. Uh-huh. And they look like they have permanent snow pants on all the time. So, <laughs> That's what I thought the name of the song should be. It was kind of, I guess it's kind of a working title, but for us, that was the title. <laughs> Sometimes I think working titles are the best titles, and I think they should stick around. Oh, they're great. I mean, yeah. I mean, I get to, I get to for, I'm fortunate enough to see everybody's working titles when they're in the studio. What is the best working <laughs> title you've seen? Song one. It's the most popular one. Ah. <laughs> Everybody has a song one. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, I mean... There's there's a this one band I think they had one called the uh, I think Dick Nose was a pretty good one, um, I think all of theirs they had another one called Zex Sex Life which is like they just had all of their working titles are really weird. So. Working titles are, are really great and I always think like they're a lot funnier and usually more indicative of like the actual song and like the vibe than what ends up becoming like oh, this one's a uh, pretty noose or something like that. You know, like some of the other songs that like people have, you're like, I feel like there was a better working title that fit this song a little better than whatever you're coming up with. Yeah, yeah, like the afterthought is like contrived and the working title is more true to it. Yes, because uh, it's more spontaneous and it's true to the moment. Um, yeah. So with the album being out, it was released uh, via Party Smashers, uh, Inc., obviously a tie-in to your, you know, Ben and Dillinger. And Hysteria, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm saying that right, Hysteria Records? Yes, yeah. That's uh, our, our friend Tom who owns that label. So, I mean, was uh, obviously you said earlier that he, you know, really wanted to have this, this thing put out on vinyl. Um, what was kind of Ben's involvement? Just kind of like one of those where it's like, hey, I have this thing and, you know, it'd be cool to, like, do something or... Was it because it doesn't seem like if this doesn't seem like necessarily a band you like would have talked about a whole lot because it's it's in its different stages of being worked on. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, we wanted to do it, it, we were going to do exclusively through Party Smasher, but because of logistical stuff and time frame stuff, we couldn't make it work. So then we went with uh, Tom at Asaria, and then he wanted the inclusion of Party Smasher, and so we asked Ben for his blessing, and if we could, like, put that on, like, the label on there, and he was cool with it, um, you know, and being, a, I think, a, you know, a fan of the band himself from taking us on tour and such. Um, so we kind of had, like, a co, co-release co with it. Right. So, like, I mean, it worked. It worked, it worked out for everybody. I mean, we're, we're super happy to have both titles on that vinyl, and, you know, it's great that Tom from Asaria is, like, kind of like a vinyl like audiophile nut and he like spared no expense in, in the pressing of the vinyl and i'm i'm not a huge like obviously i'm an audio audiophile in the studio but i mean i don't i know next to nothing about vinyl yeah and uh, i have vinyl but i you know it's more of like a collector's thing just like a yeah it's totally it's just like we don't really listen to it very often it's just like for fun every once in a while we'll throw it on it's kind of gimmicky you know um but some people love it, obviously, and there's those people who just like swear that it sounds better than anything, and 
you know, which is just like, you know, if someone, if, if that's someone's preference, that's fine. But just sonically, that's just not true. <laughs> <laughs> but people, people like it and they're attached to it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a physical thing, not like anything digital, which is just like, it's like, you know, in the ether, it's a bizarre concept. Um, so I understand that. But anyway, so Tom needed to be, you know, like cut at 45, mm-hmm. you know, the, the thickest weight, the grooves are like super, super rad. And the, the artwork our friend Jeff did for us is awesome. And it's two songs, um, aside, aside and yeah. it's a double vinyl. It's just crazy. Yeah. I was um, going to say, like when I was reading about it, I was like, holy shit, this sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he wanted to go above and beyond and make sure. And he was like, we can't do any splatter finishes. It's got to be just pure black for the best sound quality, which is something we actually wanted to do. We wanted to do splatters, but he was like very against it because of the, you know, it would, you know, degrade the audio quality. Right. And I don't know why it would, but I don't, like I said, I'm not into vinyl. So I was just taking him you know, his word on that one. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's real proud of it. We're all real proud of it. And, uh, it's a cool, unique little piece for sure. And, uh, I mean that's kind of it on on Knife of Glitter. I mean you've already kind of said like you're not <laughs> the band's done. You're, you guys aren't going to be playing any shows or anything. So uh, there's really not a whole lot to plug there. But I guess uh, at this point, like, um, what do you have planned for the rest of this year? Oh man, this year is um, since I'm finally home for a while now. Uh, we're just really focusing a lot on uh, our studio, backroom studios, and we have a lot of things on on the agenda in terms of like construction and gear and the biggest thing is we're making a a big youtube push this year so we're starting a channel and we're working on content for that now with like you know we're going to review gear we're going to do tutorials we're going to do interviews um because we feel like that's a you know a real important piece now for better or worse is that you kind of have to stay relevant with you know the, the whole youtube thing yeah and then uh socials where can people find you and or the studio uh, the studio, I think, is backroom underscore studio for Instagram. And, you know, we have a Facebook. And for me, it's Kevin underscore backroom for Instagram and, you know, the whole Facebook thing. I'm horrible with social media, by the way. I'm just, <laughs> I only have it because I need it for work. Otherwise, well, gotta, I would just delete it all. <laughs> well, as I said, I noticed you weren't on, on uh, Twitter. And then you got to get on Vero now because that's, that's the new thing. As oh, like geez, I ago. saw that like all day yesterday. It's just Vero, Vero, Vero. I'm like, I'm no way in hell you're going to get me to get another social media <laughs> app at all. It's funny <laughs> to see everyone get on. I thought it was just like a musician and or like content creators type thing because that's all I saw signing up for it. And then I kind of mm-hmm. realized, I was like, no, I guess this is open to anybody. And it's it's basically, I guess, an algorithmless thing. So, but I think too many mm-hmm. people have been joining, so it's like just bogging down the site. But we'll see how it goes. Um, oh, and I'll, I'll look more into it, but I just have no desire to be a part of another another <laughs> thing that I have to open up and check updates on. The all the, you know, I just I, so much of time suck. I just don't care. <laughs> uh, and then I always like to end these episodes with a song. So, what would you like me to play it out to? It could be something from the night, the glitter, or it could be anything that you're jamming currently. Oh wow! Can we do like YYZ by Rush? Sure. And then maybe like yeah. a little story behind it, like why why you enjoy that song, or you know, a memory you have associated with sure. that song. Uh, it's my fiance's favorite Rush song, and uh, we love listening to Rush. And whenever we go see them, and that song comes on, 
It's a great time. I love that song. Do you think they're really done? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> but <laughs> who's to say? You know, I don't know. <laughs> they, they, they've been doing it for an eternity, so I can understand them being you know, like super burnt out. It's, it's not. It's not easy. It was definitely one band I never got to see. I've read a lot of uh, I almost said Neil Sean. That's a dude from Journey. Uh, Neil Peart or Peart or however he mm-hmm. wants to say his fucking name now. Twenty thirty years yeah. later, thirty years later now, he's a stickler about his last name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, ended up getting uh, those books from my dad because he's a a drummer, and so he was reading them. And I ended up reading a few of them, and I just got the feeling from like the first book he wrote, he was pretty much over being in a touring band. So it's kind of I'm surprised it took this long to actually call it a day. Yeah, I mean it, it's tough because you have you, you have other people that depend on you, you know. So you if you pull out, then that kind of screws it up for everybody, especially in a band like the Rush, where you can't really switch out members. Yeah, you know, right. That's super <laughs> difficult. That would be interesting. So, Rush with a new singer. Uh, yeah, no, thank you. Get a, get a, I mean, not that it couldn't be cool, but it's just not. Who cares? Like, it's not Rush anymore. Get less Claypool. I think he would, could do it. He could do it, but still, I just would. I wouldn't be interested. I mean, I'd be interested in whether they would call that, but I wouldn't want it to be rushed for sure. Fair enough. Well, I'll get you get back to you the rest of your evening. Thank you for your time, and uh, for those, uh, check out Knife the Glitter. Their album, self titled, is out now, and uh, you won't be see- seeing or hearing from them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you again. All right. Take care. Thanks. Yep. So that was my chat with Kevin Antrician of Dillinger Escape Plan of. Knife the Glitter, formerly of both of those bands at this point. Uh, really great talking to him. Uh, I didn't realize initially when I did this interview that uh, he didn't really wasn't doing a whole lot of interviews about this project. So I feel like I uh, feel really thankful for Kevin for actually coming out and doing the chat with me. Uh, it was kind of cool listening and, and talking to someone about you know a project that's taken so long. Um, I don't think I've ever worked on anything that has taken so long to get done. Uh, I would say there is there is a show that I've been trying to do for the better part of maybe five or six years at this point. Uh, and if I can get that to happen, that'll probably be the longest project that I have been trying to get done uh, ever. So I couldn't imagine putting forth trying to make a, an album over the course of almost a decade. Overall, it's a great record. Uh, definitely you should check it out. Uh, I think the pre-orders for that vinyl are up if you go over to the Knife of the Glitter Facebook page. Speaking of the Facebook page, if you would like to follow Knife the Glitter on their socials, you can do such over on Facebook at Knife the Glitter, Instagram at Knife the Glitter, and Twitter at Knife underscore Glitter. Uh, Be (laughs) forewarned, though, they're not very active across the socials. Uh, Probably has a lot to do with the fact that they're not really doing much once this, uh, now that this thing has been done and and all of that. So uh, if you're looking for an active follow and a lot of content posting, uh, Facebook is really the most active they are on. The rest of the stuff, I think Instagram has just got like two posts of like teaser stuff on uh, for the EP and Twitter. It looked like they think there was like five five tweets. So uh, not very active on those socials. But uh, if you would like to follow Kevin, uh, you can follow Kevin on Instagram at Kevin underscore backroom. And he's not on Twitter, and I'm not going to give you his <laughs> Facebook because it uh, doesn't need to be bombarded with his personal Facebook uh, from a bunch of people. But if you are clever enough, I'm sure you can easily find Kevin if you so wish. Uh, and if you'd like to follow the studio that Kevin owns, Backroom Studios, you can follow them on Instagram at Backroom underscore studio. Facebook is just Backroom Studios. And I didn't see it on Twitter, but 
Um, I'm sure if you just t- search Backroom Studios or Underscore Studios, you will find that as well. Uh, if you would like to follow Mosh Pit Nation, you can at moshpitnation.com, home to this website. You can also follow them on Facebook at Mosh Pit Nation West Capital MI. Tweet at them or find them on Instagram at Mosh Pit Nation. And if you would like to follow me and all the things that I'm doing, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at John's Entitled Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at John's Entitled Pod. And you can email me at John's Entitled Pod at gmail.com. I actually got an interesting email uh, a couple of days ago from a band from Portland, Oregon with, a, with an interesting band name. It was Steak Sauce Mustache. I uh, had quite the laugh about it. I uh, texted a friend of mine who lives out in Portland, and I was like, even your bands are keeping their band names weird. Uh, reminds me of early 2000s. Uh, actually, the band I was in, we were called Enormosaurus. There were a lot of bands that had interesting names as well uh, in our local metal metalcore scene. So uh, good to see that the trend is still going on. People, you know, having fun with their bands. Um so might be talking to some of the dudes from from that band or one of the dudes from that band uh, in the next couple of weeks. We shall see. Um, I actually was on Facebook and Instagram Live a little bit this week uh, trying to utilize creating different content across the social medias and so forth. Um, it's a struggle. <laughs> uh, as Kevin kind of said, like there's just so much shit to, to keep track of. And even with Vero now being a thing, I kind of forget that I even have it. Uh, if you want to follow me on there, it's just under John, under my name, John, John or Jonathan Beatty. I can't remember. Uh, but if you're on that and you want to follow me, cool. I don't really post a whole lot on there cause I just kind of forget to, <laughs> um, so yeah, so those are all the socials. Uh, something else too important to keep track of doing. Uh, however, you are listening to this podcast, uh, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whichever medium you are listening to this podcast through, uh, even if it's YouTube, uh, rate, review, subscribe, uh, greatly helps me out. I think uh, the YouTube channel actually has been doing pretty good the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, I know it's not an astronomical number, but we are up to fifty. 50 subscribers, I believe, over there. And as of when I looked last, we were at just about 7,000 views collectively between everything, which I'm fucking shocked. And uh, fastly approaching 10,000 listens on the podcast as a whole. So, uh, you know, a little over a year in and collectively at about 17,000 listens slash views on everything. That's uh, It was kind of a, a little bit of a trip to see. Um, so thank you for everybody who has checked out an episode, all the episodes, some episodes, recommended it to a friend, uh, some of the ratings, reviews that I have gotten, uh, all greatly appreciated. Still a five-star podcast over on iTunes, Apple, whatever the hell it's called. And uh, for the most part, everything on on all the socials, positive reviews. So thank you to everybody who has uh, reached out and shared kind words or, uh, you know, just let people know about this podcast. That's the only way that this thing continues to grow uh, organically. I kind of refuse to pay for Facebook ads and so forth. So uh, maybe that's just me being cheap. But I think uh, I, any fan or any person or whatever the hell you want to call it who listens to this uh, and enjoys it, I, I basically want it done organically and naturally. So thank you to everybody who has uh, checked out the, these shows and this this podcast as a whole. Um, also speaking of a great podcast, go over to the talk to me podcast. Uh, this past week, uh, to me did an interview with Howard Jones. That was fucking great. Uh, it's not the typical, it actually was more in line with like the, the Josta podcast in the sense that it's just, 
you know, to me and Hojo fucking sharing stories, having some laughs. And uh, honestly, like, you know, Howard Jones is a dude that I've wanted to talk to for a long time. Uh, Blood has been shed is one of the bands that got me into metal, like metal, metalcore, whatever, you know, you want to define that, that band as, and, uh, I would love to kind of go down the rabbit hole with some of that stuff. Um, call waiting. John Doe has the upper hand. It's one, still one of my favorite fucking songs from a production standpoint, just a lot of nuance going on in that thing. Um, still rock. My blood has been shed hoodie. Uh, I wish that band would come back. I would love to see them once. Um, but yeah, go over to the Talk To Me podcast. The Howard Jones episode is great. Uh, Howard's been doing the podcast rounds as of late and uh, just sounds like a great, great interviewer, great dude. I'm not surprised. Um, but yeah, head over to the Talk To Me podcast and uh, let them know that I sent you over there. And hopefully there's a ton of podcast episodes that Toomey has done that you will enjoy as well. Uh, sharing the love. Uh, in a day and age where it's easy to shit on everybody and, and someone doing something else or whatever, I think uh, kind of being positive and, and endorsing somebody else is uh, the way you need. To, we all need to be. So talk to me podcast. Go over there. Check out the Howard Jones episode. Go back. Listen to the back episodes. Uh, doing great things over there. Getting some big guests. Uh, I've kind of been privy to some of the guests he's got coming up, and I think they're all going to be bangers as well. So. Uh, for this episode, we end it as we always do with a song. And as you heard, Kevin picked YYZ by Rush. Uh, another great video, actually, as I was kind of, or a great song, as I was looking this up to put into the episode, I saw the reaction video uh, that those two dudes, I can't remember their name, the two black dudes that uh, basically get tweeted or polled or whatever for songs that they should listen to, and, and they just film themselves reacting to the songs. Uh, and there was one of them doing YYZ, and when they basically get to like what would be, I guess, the verse riff uh, in the song, just like them being like, oh, this this fucking groove. And it's like, yeah, dude, this groove rules. So uh, I love this song. I kind of miss Rush. Um, not necessarily the biggest fan of a lot of the newer stuff, but songs off of moving pictures and so forth. Uh, and obviously 2112 are just, you know, monumental classic rock records and, and prog records and so forth. So uh, do your homework. If you dig this song, go back through the back catalog. Go check out Rush. Uh, see where a lot of these bands, you know, from today in the prog scene uh, got their chops from. And uh, go check out those Neil Peart books. Uh, they're really good. They're they're kind of lengthy. I think there's four of them, but they're they're very interesting and kind of give you a, a background on one of the quieter dudes in, in a one of the bigger rock bands of the last 30 some odd years. So without further ado, this is Rush YYZ. Talk to you next week.